Well, guys, I know that uh, this has probably been quite the experience for uh, our new additions this morning. I imagine, I've never been this person before, uh, but I would imagine being a preacher's kid is a little weird. Um, Jace, is being a preacher's kid a little weird? No? Okay. Well, maybe, maybe if you're born into it, maybe, maybe it's not as weird, but uh, we always thought the preacher's kids were weird, maybe, I don't know, maybe... Maybe, I don't know. Uh, my dad was a preacher's kid, and, uh, and so he's kind of weird, but that's okay. If you're leaving at this mo- moment, it must be that you're headed out to Sprouts, and so I'm grateful for your opportunity to go do that, and thank you, Miss Debbie, for being willing to serve in that role, too. Uh, but as you might imagine, coming into a place uh, that's new for you, and then finding out also that the home you're living in, the guy's the preacher... Uh, that's probably got to be kind of weird. Is that weird? Yeah, got, got two nods yes on that one. That's okay. We're going to have some fun and uh, grateful that they're here, grateful that you're here. If you will, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to take a look at this second section here of this message that I entitled Discipleship in Action. Discipleship in Action. Now, we have been talking about what a healthy church is. We've looked at several uh, essentials, things that are uh, non-negotiable. They are definitely needed and required in order for us to be a healthy church. Uh, One of those, uh, the first one that we started with was God's Word, that a healthy church uh, is a people of the book, that the centrality of God's Word is a necessity for the good health of God's people. And then also we looked at prayer being uh, us understanding that we have a dependency upon the Lord and that being evident in our prayer life. Uh, We looked at a biblical understanding of conversion, uh, what it means to to come to faith in Christ and to grow in Christ uh, and what one day we will be saved, being uh, caught up with Him and, and with Him forever, free from even the presence of sin. Also we looked at a biblical understanding of the church and Uh, that we are tied together to worship and walk and witness together, uh, and what that looks like as far as leadership and and who the church is. And then we we got into a biblical understanding of worship, uh, what it means to worship the Lord, treasuring God above all things and valuing Him above all things. And then essential number six is a biblical understanding of and leading in obedience, uh, leading to obedience in discipleship. And so we've been on discipleship here for just a little time, and, and in this particular passage of Scripture in First Thessalonians, we know that it was written, uh, breathed out by God, a letter written to the church at Thessalonica, the believers there. Uh, we're going to look and see how Paul continued a discipling relationship with the believers there in the city of Thessalonica, and how we too today, uh, if we are going to be a healthy church, that we will have a biblical understanding of this discipleship what it is, what it looks like, how we put it into action, and that discipleship is something uh, that should be an active role for the church, that discipleship in action is a necessity for us to be a healthy church. And so as we look forward, we we started out uh, last week, and I'm going to read the entire passage again, uh, but we started out looking at the first half of that, uh, and I'll give you kind of a a brief summary of that as we move into uh, the remaining points uh, of this passage message on this passage. So uh, will you pray with me and, uh, and then we will look at the text together again. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that it is preserved for us. Uh, God, that it's your word breathed out uh, to those in Thessalonica at that time, but God also for White Oak Baptist Church, uh, for everyone that's in this place today. 
Uh, God, we, we thank you that uh, you desire to teach us, and Father, we desire to learn. So Lord, open up our hearts and our minds to what it is that you would have us here this morning. And God, I pray that you would lead us in the way that is an active faith, an active discipleship. Uh, Lord, that we as individuals and we collectively as your body here in White Oak, that we would be very active in, in leading in discipling others. Uh, God, you have called us not simply to uh, see converts, but God, to make disciples. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us such an understanding and such a passion uh, that we would be faithful to follow you in these ways. Uh, Lord, be with those that could not be here. There are those that are sick. There are those that, uh, that are away for, for other reasons. We just pray that you would wrap your arms around them and, and, Lord, that you would lead them in your ways. And, God, I pray that as we have contact with them, that you would use us in your hands and feet, as your hands and feet to minister to their bodies, minister to their lives and to their hearts. And, God, we pray that, uh, that you would begin to do something special here in this place. We are expectant uh, of what you uh, are going to do because we know that you're not through with us. And so, Lord, we pray, uh, anticipating how you will continue to connect us together, that you will knit our hearts together more than we ever thought they could be. Uh, Father, we may feel as though at this point that, that we're as close as we ever would be, but God, I pray that you would knit our hearts together. Lord, that you would see people, uh, all of us, Lord, being faithful to live out our faith in this community. And God, that you would receive much praise and glory for what takes place because it's going to be by your hand. We know that should be true. Uh, be with us in these moments, this short time we have together. May you be honored. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. And the church said... Amen. Amen. Let's read together 1 Thessalonians, beginning with verse 1. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the, Thess uh, of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Acacia." Uh, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acacia, but you, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything, for uh, they themselves report concerning us the conception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. In chapter 2, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts." For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. Uh, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we were proclaiming, uh, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. 
You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. A beautiful introduction and getting into the content of that letter that God breathed out through Paul to the believers there in Thessalonica. He, he makes so beautifully, and of course we would, we would well, of course, it's God's word, he breathed it out and it's perfect, but as you think about using mere man to write these thoughts down, uh, as, he indwell, as he indwells them with the Holy Spirit and, and speaks through them, inspires this holy word, we see this introduction of who they are and, and how dear they are to Paul. Do you get a sense in that passage of Scripture of the affection of the, of the heart that Paul has for the people in Thessalonica? I hope that you do. I believe that it communicates it very clearly uh, that Paul loves these people and he desires the best things for these people. And God is using him in order that the best things might be communicated to them. And so briefly, because I know that if I go back and review, I'll end up preaching the whole thing. So I'm going to do it quick, and we'll jump into the last few points uh, of this message. Uh, but I want you to know that, that we can have what looks like, to the outside world, a healthy church. When we talk about discipleship, we can have what looks like a healthy church if we, if we just get more people to show up. And if we get more people to give money, and the people that are giving money to give more money, and if we have more activities, and we have more things going on during the week and on the weekends, and if, if we have this, this hustle and bustle going on on our campus all the time, we can feign this idea of being healthy as a church, but we can do it and not be healthy. You see, it's not more money that makes a church healthy, it's not even more people that makes a church healthy. But what makes a church healthy are these things that we've been looking into. And, and as we look back to the one that we started with, the Word of God, we, we look and see that discipleship is a must in order for us to be healthy. And I would go on to propose that some of the issues that we have in the church, and I'm not saying this local congregation necessarily, but I'm also not uh, giving us an exemption on this either. But the, what we have, the issues that we have in the church all across America is oftentimes there are people that have come to faith in Christ and they have never been adequately discipled. And so they walk in the way in which they know to walk or they've tried to figure out on their own to walk or, or, or whatever the case may be. And, and they find themselves walking in ways that are not consistent with the teachings. And that's really something that we as the church are going to answer for. As a pastor, I'm going to stand before God one day and I'm going to give an account of how I have ministered and discipled as leading the local congregation. But you as a believer, a lay leader, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, whoever, a nursery worker, we all are going to give an account to the Lord one day concerning how we are discipling. And we have relegated that, if we're not careful, to being something that only happens during this time on Sunday mornings. In, in the Sunday school hour, uh, at this time of worship service, the 6 o'clock worship service on nights, and possibly even what's traditionally been called discipleship training. Uh, 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 hmm, There's some other names. Call one out. GAs, RAs, mission friends, all of these sorts of things. Thank you. Got stuck there for a second. We have relegated discipleship to being just that. 
And I hope that you see from this text this morning and, uh, that, that this is not the way that God designed discipleship to be. So uh, if we uh, are involved in being discipled and discipling others, I propose to you that some of those things I mentioned quite possibly will increase. People that are followers of Jesus uh, that are growing more intimately in their relationship with Him see how everything that they have comes from His hand and are more willing and, and actually joyfully able to give of those things and so money may increase. People who are discipled and are discipling are having contact with other individuals out of this place and are attempting to invest into their lives. And so, the, and, and, and certainly a part of that is, is attempting to invite them into a worship service and into a small group Bible study and all of those sorts of things. And so the number of people quite possibly will increase. But it's got to be on the basis of us surrendering ourselves to the Lord, not simply attempting to make those numbers go up. Mark Dever says, true discipleship producing strong, committed Christians presents a clear witness to the world. And so on the reverse of that, if there is not clear uh, 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 discipleship producing strong, committed Christians, what type of witness are we portraying to the world as a congregation? As we started a couple of weeks ago, We looked at a few points. There in the very first, you hear about them giving thanks to God. Paul gives thanks to God concerning these people. And so we started out with genuine biblical discipleship begins in prayer. I don't believe that this time that he wrote this this letter, that God breathed it out through him, that's the first time that Paul prayed for them. No, I see from the text and also I believe from consistency of his life over the other accounts of his missionary journeys that he had been praying. He was a praying man. And we understand that discipleship begins with prayer. And so if we're going to be successful in discipling others, we will be successful in being on our faces before God praying for them. Also, discipleship uh, is genuine biblical discipleship includes a powerful transparency we looked at. People opening up to others and showing them the things uh, and being honest with them about things. Uh, and verse 4 says, For we know, brothers, uh, loved by God, that, God has, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power. It goes on and says, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You know us. We opened up to you and you saw the truth regarding who we are in Christ. And so there was this transparency there, a powerful transparency. As we open up other, then there's a power that exists in that in discipleship. We also saw that genuine biblical discipleship involves imitation. This is not a fakeness, uh, but a modeling. And this is a come follow me as I follow Christ. And we asked ourselves the question, what type of example are we giving? And is it an example that's worth following, or is it one that should not be followed? So we move forward, we saw genuine biblical discipleship guarantees a sure work, that it's not a work that's in vain. In verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. And it goes on and talks some more about what took place. This is a sure work. The plan that God has set in place for people to come to faith in Christ, for them to be discipled and to learn all the ways and obey all, observe all the ways the Lord commanded. This is a sure plan. Does that mean that everyone's going to repent and believe for the forgiveness of their sins and grow and thrive in their life in Christ? No, it doesn't. 
But it is a certainty that there will be some that are snatched from the flames. There will be some that are no longer destined to hell. There will be some that come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And beyond that, there will be some that no longer live in this powerless life where they're not walking with Jesus even though they've been born again, but they're resistant to continuing to follow Him and grow in Him. They remain as infants in Christ. There's a powerlessness there almost that exists. And there's sin that gets in the way of what God wants to do in their life and, and what He would have them be and, and shine forth brightly. And as people are discipled, some of this will begin to be torn away and folks will shine brightly the truth of the Gospel. They will shine brightly the life that is found in Jesus. Some of this will change. It's a sure work. Not only that, but it's a sure work that there's much work to be done and that there's a certainty found only in Christ. The only hope in His life is to be found in Him. The only hope that anyone else has that's on our heart even now, that we pray for at night, that we long to see come to a saving relationship, that we long to see get out of those situations that they're in and their families, the only hope that they have, the only hope that we have is Jesus. But He is a certainty. I shared with you a statistic a couple of weeks ago that there's over 1,300 people in a five-mile ring if you drop a point right here on this church house. Five-mile radius around us, there's 1,300-plus people. And 38% of them, hear me now, 38% are under the age of 20. That's a whole bunch of folks that are in a time of their life that are impressionable, that are more open, I would propose, and are able to be reached in a way, if you can say easy, an easier way. It gets harder as you go on, it seems, for people to surrender their life to Christ. There's a lot of people right here in this place. And it's a sure work, a sure investment. So not only does genuine biblical discipleship begin in prayer, not only uh, does it include powerful transparency, involve imitation, guaranteed a sure work, but there's guaranteed sure conflict. We mentioned that a couple of weeks. The evil one loathes the church that disciples, and the evil one loves the congregation who seemingly has given up hope on growth, discipleship. But as we move forward, I want to give you these very quickly. Let's look at verses 3 and 6 as we think about genuine biblical discipleship demands bold truth delivered in humility. Verses 3 through 6 says, but, uh, excuse me, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. The gospel and discipleship demands bold truth delivered in humility. This is not for dishonest gain. This is not backing down from the truth. We have been given, as Martin Luther said in his 95 Thesis, number 62 says, the, tre the true treasure of the church is the holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. We have been entrusted with this treasure. And it demands this bold truth be delivered in humility. It demands that it must be delivered in boldness, but it must be delivered in humility. This tre treasure is one of which we are to share, to invest in others and to bring to see it bring forth a return. Let me give you 
illustration here concerning this. This world is plagued with sickness, which is the result of a fallen world. Just last night, in our, just yesterday in our own community, because of a sickness, there was a man that was lost for some time. He was confused and wondering about, praise the Lord, he's been found. But I want you to know that whether it's something with your mind or it's something with uh, leukemia or heart disease or strokes or diabetes or whatever, the the list can go on and on. This world is plagued with sickness. And we know we can get into our understanding of this fallen world and what sin does to this world. It, It riddles it with problems. But the reality is, if you and me... If we knew people, those suffering right now with a disease that you knew would eventually take their life forever or could take their life at any moment, what if those, taking it beyond that, what if if it was you who, who had had this disease in the past and you had been cured of this disease? So there's all these people around you that you care dearly for that are sick You know that they're destined to die with a sickness. And yet you yourself have experienced the exact same kind of sickness and you have found the cure for this. You see where I'm going. Would you not shout from the rooftops the way in which to get these things corrected? The way in which to have life. The way in which to be free from this pain and this disease and this sickness. Would you not be willing to do all that you could to share with those people that you love regarding where they can find healing? I know that you would. Over the last three and a half years, we we have come to know how gracious you can be. How loving you can be towards us. Just a small thing as we walk into here even this morning. That we see such great smiles and handshakes and introductions to people that maybe feel a little bit out of place. I'm grateful for your heart and the way in which you're gracious to others and loving and kind toward others. And so I know without a shadow of a doubt that you would be willing to tell them of this truth, of this cure, of this disease-curing method. And yet I know that we all know the truth regarding this illustration. Sickness is going to continue to riddle us in this world. It's going to cause problems. This shell is wasting away. But there's a day coming. There's a day coming when there will never be another mention of the word cancer. Well, there will never be another mention of the word diabetes. There will never be another shot. There will never be another medication. There will never be another downtime, down day, difficult circumstance. There will be perfection forever and glory, forever and ever and ever and ever. And the way in which to be saved, the way in which to be cured, you and I, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know there's a confidence, a boldness, that comes with discipleship. It's not arrogance. It's not an obnoxious spirit. It's a confidence in Jesus. Confidence in Jesus. Share with them the truth. Be bold to do that, even to your own peril. It's a boldness that, that deserves to be delivered in humility. Humility is this word that just really low-lying 
And sometimes we think, well, well, that's just people that are beneath. No, that, that's not necessarily what it means. But, but in humility, boldness can be very gentle. Humility is, as Adrian Rogers says, agreeing with God with what he says about you. And so what does God say about you and me? And do you agree with it? Do you agree that you are a sinful person? That your heart is deceitful above all things? That you have a, of a depraved mind? All of these things prior to being born in Christ, but also knowing that we battle with this flesh that still has us battling with this sin. That you and I deserve eternal condemnation because we are lawbreakers and we've gone after other gods. That's what God's Word says about us. Do you believe it to be true? Oh, but there's good news. The Word says about us too, for those that are found in Christ Jesus, you have been saved by grace through faith. It is not of your own doing, it is by the hand of God. No one's going to boast in what He's done. We're going to boast in what Jesus has done. We're going to boldly proclaim what He has accomplished and understand that we have no hope but Him, and so we will share only Him. That while we don't deserve it and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the just dying for the unjust. God's Word also says for those that are found in Christ Jesus that you have been indwelled with the Holy Spirit. You have been empowered in order to walk this life, to live for Him and to share others about Him. So how are we going to deliver this truth and boldness with humility? How can we do this? Well, I propose to you that you go to a passage of Scripture, you don't have to look now, but you can look at it as you have time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, I, you read through 1 Corinthians and you see the church at Corinth kind of getting, getting reprimanded almost, it sounds like at times. You know, there, there's some instructions that are given there. Obviously, there were some issues at the church in Corinth. There's some instructions that's breathed out by God through Paul there that, that, that are given them concerning worship and concerning love and concerning... Uh, roles in ministry and different things like that. And, and, and you see at the end an opportunity for, for the Lord to, for, for God to just kind of summarize these things. And instead, He does it perfectly. In my, mind, in my mind, it's not the summary that I would have picked out, but He does it perfectly. And it says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. It's real manly talk. Be bold. And the last verse says, verse 14 says, Let all that you do be done in love. All that you do be done in love. Discipleship demands bold truth delivered in humility. You can be bold and arrogant because it lacks love. But if you are loving in your boldness, there's going to be a, an element of humility that exists that allows you to, to approach people in a way that is approachable and people want to know what you've got to say. So, oh, what a difference it would make if we were to just be willing to share this truth with others, to come alongside them. And you can remember, in, in, as far as humility is concerned, in Philippians chapter 2, Christ humbled Himself, it says. And what did He do? He took on the form of a servant, a man, a slave, a man. He, he took on the form of nothing, basically is the way that language speaks, a man. And He was willing to humble Himself and go to the cross and die a death that He did not deserve for you and for me. And so just since Jesus was willing to, to be brought low in order to redeem people from the pit, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to be made fun of because you're looked at as someone who's just too crazy about this Jesus thing? Are, are you willing to be ridiculed by people that say that you're just slow in thinking and, and that, you're, that you're not up to date, you're ignorant and, and you're not very well learned and, and all of these things? Because these are said about those who will boldly follow Christ. 
You see, the evil one doesn't care to fool with people who are not discipling, who are not evangelizing, who are not laying their life down that others might come to faith, that might grow in their faith. But the evil one will torment those who are struggling and clawing and scratching and willing to die in order that people might hear the truth. So what are you willing to do? Well, here's how we do it. God's Word tells us, be strong and courageous. Do not be dismayed. Do not fear. In humility, follow the Lord because you know you can be bold in Him because He's got everything under control. We don't have to live for this world. We don't have to live for this world. Let me move on. You're saying, oh, brother, you're never going to finish. You may be. All right. Also, biblical discipleship is nurturing affectionate love. We've mentioned this a bit already, but look at verse 7 and 8 in chapter 2. It says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. You can go on and jump down into verse 11. It says, for you know how we, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. There is this nurturing, affectionate Love that comes with discipleship. Discipleship will never be effective. It will never be genuine biblical discipleship. If it's just about seeing more people in this place. If it's just about seeing, uh, being seen by others as someone who is really on fire for God. If it's about us as a church or if it's about us as individuals, it will never be effective biblical discipleship. Genuine discipleship. Oh, but if it's about loving others the way that God has loved us, it will be beautiful. It will be beautiful. Love is patient. It is kind. It's not envious. It's not boastful, not arrogant, not rude, not insisting on its own way, not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and it never ends. So are you desirous, being affectionately desirous of you, Are you desirous, are you eager, are you hopeful that they, whoever they are, will come to a saving relationship with Jesus? Are you eager, are you longing for people that you know to a saving relationship with Jesus? And if the answer is a resounding yes, then I ask you for your proof. Are you ready and willing to share the gospel and your life with them? I see the proof in Paul's life. I see the proof in Paul's life. I'm going to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 real quick. You can if you would like to. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me show you the proof that Paul meant what he said. I'm going to start with verse 24. Word says here in First Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians eleven, chapter chapter eleven, begin with verse twenty four. It says five times. This is Paul speaking about himself. God breathing it out through him. Five received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger, excuse me, from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, (laughs) danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Excuse me. Does that sound like someone who's just all about his comfort? (laughs) Or does that sound like someone who genuinely is eager and hopeful, desirously affectionate toward people that need Jesus, grow in Jesus? There's Paul's proof. Where is ours? I can't say to my wife, how much I love her. I can't tell her time and time again and never put action to those words and her ever believe me. Why should anyone else? And I'm finishing up. You're saying you still got three more, two more, preacher. Three more, preacher. Three more, preacher. Well, look, I actually deleted one. And I'm going to do these quick, so give me just a second. Verse 9 of chapter 2, if you'll look back there in uh, our text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 9. It says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Biblical discipleship is costly. It is costly. I think you see that exhibited in the passage that we just read as Paul was beaten and shipwrecked and, and troubled and all of those sorts of things. It's costly. It costs us money. It does. It does cost us money in order for us to be a biblical disciple. It costs us our resources anyway. You say, preacher, they didn't have that kind of money back then. You're right. But it cost them their resources. And it does. It costs us money. It costs us our resources. But sometimes that's the easiest part of discipleship. Sometimes it really is. It's the easiest part of discipleship. You know what? I'm not going to go over there, but I'll give a little money for somebody else to. Now, I'm not saying people shouldn't do that. I'm very grateful of that. I had a friend, uh, a friend, she's my friend, but she's my sister. <laughs> I had a sister texting me yesterday, and she said, what can I do, you to, do for you to help? And I, and I told my wife, I said, you know what? I, I don't know what, I'm not good at asking for help in these things. I'm not good at saying, hey, we need this, and we need that, and we need this, and it'd really help if we had that too. I'm not good at that. We're just trying to figure out how it's going to work. Because we don't know yet. I mean, you, you can't put it on paper and it work out. All right? But, but she asked me, what do you need? And, and I told her, I said, well, I'm going to tell you something that I think we need. And the reason I'm going to tell you is this. I believe wholeheartedly that God has called the church to be involved in ministry like this that we're involved in now. I believe wholeheartedly. It's clear in the text. But I also know that not everyone is called in the way in which we are called. I know that. I don't want you to be if that's not what God's called you to do. But I do know that somewhere we all fit in in ministering to these young men and ministering to the people of this community. I know we all fit in. And so it's costly. But sometimes, given the money, given the resources, those sorts of things, that's the easiest thing to do because we can give out of our surplus because we've been so blessed richly and we can walk away. But it costs us more than that. It costs us time. It cost us love. It cost us pain. Don't, don't forget, read back where Paul was. It cost us pain. 
back in May when you allowed us to step away for a weekend. And we went and did some training through the state. The thing that grabbed my attention the most, and it may have been the orientation prior to that. Actually, it was the orientation prior to that. We went down on a Friday night or something. Anyway, she'll correct me later. The thing that stuck out the most, and it still does today, and it's going to continue, and I'm going to share it with more. People wonder, why in the world would you do something like what we're doing? So it's going to cause you too much pain when things change. And that man said, he's an he's a associate pastor or something over here at a church in Brandon but was leading the orientation down the coast. That man said, pain is never an excuse. It gripped our hearts. We knew what God was leading us to. But that truth continues to ring in my heart and in my head because there's going to be times that it's painful. There's going to be times that discipling is painful. There's going to be times that reaching out to others in love is painful. But pain is never a reason not to love. It's going to cost us. But remember, it's a sure investment. And lastly, genuine biblical discipleship is most assuredly, going back to the title, a call to action. For you know, in verse 11, you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. It is action, friends. Church, it is a call to action. We must be active in our discipling. We must be active in our discipling in our everyday lives. We need to be discipling those that are in our home. We need to be discipling those that we encounter in our family that are no longer in our home or that never were. We need to be discipling those who are in our places of work. And you say, well, preacher, you can't, do, you can't force these things on people. And you're right. But you can boldly in humility proclaim them and you, I promise you, it's the way God has designed it. You're going to find somebody that wants to latch on. That you can pour into. That you can begin walking and, and it's going to encourage you. It's going to challenge you because you're saying, hey, I have someone else that's looking toward me to follow me as I follow Christ. It's going to help in some of your struggles. I want to honor God first so that also these people will honor God and they haven't seen me walk in this way. There's going to be people that are willing to be invested in when we find ourselves very actively seeking out folks in which we can disciple. It's a call to action. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The genuine church will always be with the Lord. I know that to be true. But can I tell you, the, the people located in the congregation sometimes can be, we can be our biggest enemy at times. As we fail to put into action that which God has called us to. We pray with me? Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, for true. Thank you, Lord, that you are a living God. You are the one true living God. And Lord, thank you that while we deserve to be punished eternally for our sin, 
God, you gave us an opportunity to be saved through Jesus. Him paying our debt for us. Lord, you have then called us to a great commission. May we never be guilty of it being a great omission in our lives. But yet that we are active in being disciplers. Disciples that make disciples. Lord Jesus, help us, I pray. In your name, amen. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. Hymn number 200, without him. Hymn number 200. You stand and sing with us. If you need to respond uh, by surrendering your life to Jesus, to coming down here and praying, praying where you are, crossing the aisles, you, you respond. Maybe there's somebody on your heart that you know God's